0: everyone's been at one of those parties, an event or something where the music is going, there are great vibes, everyone's happy, everyone's walking around, mingling, speaking to one another, and all of a sudden, there's that crash. Whether it's the poor waiter who dropped the soup, or it's someone banged into a table and a glass fell off, there's that moment of, (gasps) oh! What happened? And then you realize that it was okay, someone just spilled something or something got knocked over. If it's a glass that breaks, someone inevitably screams Tov and everyone goes back to exactly what they were doing. The music picks back up and everyone goes back to talking and everything goes on as usual. However, in this week's Parsha, we encounter what happens when everything does not go back to normal. When something that is much more serious happens at the party and therefore we can't just say oh back to our regularly scheduled programming we can't just turn the music back up and go back to schmoozing as we were before obviously to separate what happened in this fake scenario from what happened with Aaron what happened with Aaron was like the worst possible iteration of something like this that can happen what was it that happened? Back in our previous parshio? they finally finished, they finally, finally finished constructing the Mishkan, and they were ready for the Yemei Miluim, the days where they were going to erect and take down the Mishkan over and over again, until finally, on the eighth day, the Shechino was going to rest in the Mishkan that there was as if going to be this production in order to bring down the Shlina and to dedicate the Mishkan so that they can begin using it. And in the midst of all this hubbub, this Simcha, this happiness, something tragic occurs. And in Vayikra Parak Yod, we hear about what happened on that day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. It says, Vayichu b'nei nadavavi hu ish Alaha of the Hashem, ish zara, asher lo what happens in Adam and Abihu, two of the sons of Aaron on this day, they, t- they each take their sacrificing pan, they put fire in it, they put Torah in it, and they bring this Ish Zara, this foreign fire before Hashem. Now, there are a number of different explanations of what this Ishizara is, whether it was actually a strange type of fire that they brought, whether they were possibly intoxicated when they brought this fire and therefore it was fire that they should not have brought, or it was fire that they were not commanded to bring, but they bring it before Hashem. Hashem has not commanded them to do, do this. As we said, there is a very exact order, a very exact protocol that went into these Yemei Hamiluim, these days of practice, quote-unquote, and you were not meant to stray from what Hashem told you to do. Latita ishvil of they hashem va and a fire comes out from before hashem and it consumes them may mutul of hashem they died before hashem they overmo shall aron who asher giber hashem li more ekadish akadesh the alpadai alpey kohana chabir and it ov aron Moshe comes after this horrific tragedy has occurred that these two sons of Aaron are killed amidst all of the simcha that has been going on. And Moshe comes to Aaron and he says, Hu asher diber Hashem? This is what Hashem has spoken to us. When Hashem said that I will be sanctified through those that are closest to me, this is what he meant. And through them, I will be honored in front of the entire nation. And Aaron was silent. And Aaron did not respond. So what I want to look at today is this moment of silence. Is this Vayidom Aaron? And you might say this was last week's parsha, but I think this week's parsha is where we see what happens afterwards. We see what happens post the initial reaction of Aaron. That they go back and they continue the service in the Mishkan and they continue the inauguration. And they learn more halakha to what they should and should not do. But that is life post Vayidom Aaron. So I believe in order to transition into this week's Parsha, we can't go on without understanding what this Vayidom Aaron is. What is this silence of Aaron? Does that just mean he completely never reacted? He was like a blank face. Does that mean that something happened and then he was silent? So what I want to do first is I want to look into what exactly did Aaron say, not say, do, not do. And then I want to look at a number of different approaches of what is the significance of this silence? So we are told that Aaron is silent. And besides for understanding what exactly that means, I want to understand why. Why was it important that Aaron was silent? And what does that mean for us? What can we learn from this silence of Aaron? So to first try to understand how exactly did Aaron react, but we don't get a clear picture of what exactly that looked like. So Rashi first tells us, he received a reward for his quiet Umas Har Kibel, and which reward did he receive <laughs> So Rashi says that Aaron was exactly as it sounds. He was silent. And because he was silent, he received a great reward that Hashem spoke directly to him. And that was his schar, that in the next Parsha that we hear about of Parsha Tshu Yayin, where it talks about how the Kohanim may not drink wine before they enter into service in the Mishkan. There it says that it was told to Aaron. So the reward for Aaron being silent when he heard about the death of his sons, the reward was that he was able to speak to Hashem directly. The Ramban, however, gives us a slightly different approach. That Rashi, it seems, to, to indicate that how did Aaron react? Just complete blink, nothing, complete silence. Did not react. The Ramban, however, says it a little differently. He says, "V'tam v'itom Aaron shatak." The opinion of the Ramban is not that Aaron was was silent immediately. Rather, Rather, he cried out in a, in a voice, he was sobbing, he was, he was crying, and then he was quiet. When was he quiet? When Moshe said, that through those closest to me, that is how I will be sanctified. So originally, Aaron was crying and he was mourning and he was how we would imagine someone reacting to such a tragedy. The as and then when he heard that this was all for a purpose, this was all part of Hashem's plan, then Shatak, then he was quiet. And this makes sense if you tie this approach of the Ramadan in with the approach of Rashi, that it then makes sense why he would be rewarded so greatly. That if he was simply just silent, we don't really know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking that, I don't know, we have no idea because
1: he's just silent. But rather, according to the Ramban if we look at it that way, it makes sense why he receives such a great reward.
0: Because he was crying, he was upset. And then when he heard this was all part of Hashem's plan, that's when he stopped. That's when he was silent. The chassam sofar, however, gives us a slightly more complex picture. The writing of the chassam Sofer itself, you can see there on your sheet, but it's
1: a little bit complicated in the way it's worded. So we're going to do it outside. What the chassam Sofer says to us is that Aaron
0: understood that there was a way he was meant to react in this situation. Aaron, who was someone who was thoughtful, who was someone who was intuitive, knows, knew, based on what we see in a Gemara, that there was a Gemara that talks about the fact that Rabbi Meir, who lost a child, him and his wife were comforted over the fact that they knew they were returning the pikadon, the collateral that they had been given by Hashem. They were returning it to... Um, to Hashem, Hashem gave us the pikadon and they were returning this pikadon to Hashem. So Rabbi Meir and his wife taught us that one should focus on the fact that you had the opportunity to have this child and not simply on the lekicha, the fact that the child was taken away. Eov, it says, acknowledged this, that Eov, when he had lost everything, he was able to turn to Hashem and say, Hashem latan, Hashem lepach, he shame Hashem aborach. That Eov did not respond like Aaron was silent. Rather, Eoph was able to not only not yell at Hashem, not only not come out against Hashem, rather he was actually able to bless Hashem. And Aaron said to himself, he said, I know I should be able to praise Hashem. I should recognize that these children were a and They were a collateral for me. And now that I am done watching them, they have returned to Hashem. And I know that I should be happy about the fact that they were with me. But I think that if I try to say any praise of Hashem, I know I should praise Hashem. But if I try to praise Hashem, I'm not going to be able to. So better, I should stay quiet. I should be silent. And therefore, I'm not doing the optimal thing, which is to praise Hashem. But I am also not doing the terrible thing, which is to only focus on the fact that this child was was taken away. So Aaron remains quiet because he is in such a tough situation that he doesn't know exactly how he was going to react, and therefore he stays silent. So we have these three sort of different approaches about what I actually had in that moment. We have the approach of Rashi, which is that he was silent, and this silence came from total sitkas. This was total righteousness, that Aaron was righteous, and therefore he was silent and accepted what Hashem had done. The other approach is Ramban. The approach of Ramban, which was that he cried out, he mourned, he was a normal human being. But then when Moshe said that this was be- this was all part of Hashem's plan, and through their loss, Hashem's name would be sanctified, at that point, he stopped crying. The Chassam Sofer lastly gave us the more complex approach, which was that Aaron was quiet. And by remaining quiet, it was okay. What would have been best would have been for him to praise Hashem. What would have been worse would be for him to be upset at Hashem to come out against Hashem, and therefore he stayed silent to keep himself in this safe middle ground. So now we understand a little bit more about what possibly happened in those immediate moments after the death of Aaron's sons. But what is this silence? Does silence come up in other places? What does it mean for us in those places? How do we understand? We we understand that Aaron was silent, but why was he silent? And because of why he was silent, we can learn something for our everyday lives. The first approach is that silence is a safeguard for wisdom. In Mishlei it says, "Shomer pib ulishono, shomer F show. One who guards his heart and tongue guards himself from trouble. That someone who doesn't speak a lot stays out of trouble. There is a, a quote that I remember from when I was back in seventh grade that is attributed to Abraham Lincoln. They don't know if 100% it was Abraham Lincoln. If it's not Abraham Lincoln, no one's here to tell us whether it really was or not. So we're just going to go with that. And the quote is, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. Now, this goes along with what Michele is saying, is that someone who is wise, someone who is intelligent, is someone who thinks through what they are going to say. That he said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool. That if we just stay quiet and we don't say anything, you may be smart, you may be a fool, we'll never know. So if you stay quiet, then you guard yourself from trouble. If you start to speak, then you remove all doubt. That's kind of the joke, is that you usually prove them that they were right. The Mishnah in Perkei be in Perkei Aleph, which we will be starting reading this, shah, is Shimon B'no Omer. All of my days, I grew up among the Chachamim. I didn't find anything better that, that was better for the Guf than being quiet. The The learning is not what is the most important Rather, the actions may be One who adds on many words, someone who speaks a lot, may be is bringing himself to is bringing himself to sin. So all three of these kind of give us the impression that silence can be specifically employed in order to safeguard our wisdom to give off the impression that we are intelligent put together human beings, and therefore being silent is the best course of action, because as Abraham Lincoln said, better to remain silent and be thought fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. So that is the first approach. However, I don't think that makes much sense here in our context, because why would be? Aaron's not trying to
1: protect people's reputation of him? He is already the coming guzzle. He is already serving in the highest position. So why would it be that he had to safeguard
0: himself, safeguard his wisdom by simply not speaking? So let's go on to the next approach. The next approach is that there are some times when it is appropriate to speak, and there are some times when it simply is not. In Kohelet, we talk about all the different options. There is a time for this, and a time for this, and a time for this, and a time for this. In this whole long poem that gives us this rhythm, but also really this idea of what is meant to be included in our life. And this poem tells us by Shlomo This poem tells us what there is time for in this world. And in this poem, it says, Eat lakroa, the eat for there is a time to rip and a time to mend. Eat laqshov, the eight a time for speaking and a time for silence. Where else do we see this in dalad When b'nei Israel approached the um the Yamsuf and they saw that the Mitra the Mitram were behind them and the water was in front of them. This is when they turned to Moshe. And they said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you couldn't have left us there to
1: die?
0: Um, didn't we say to you, Moshe, that we would rather stay in Egypt? It wasn't so bad. We'd rather stay in Egypt. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Hashem yilachim lachem, v'atem tacharishin. Moshe says, stop complaining, stop fetching. You are now in the ocean, Hashem is going to take care of them. Hashem yilachim Hashem will fight for you. V'atem tacharishin. And you should be quiet. What we get from each of these sources is that there is a time to talk, and there is a time when there is not a time to talk. That, that there is time for Hashem to fill in on what is going to be going on. There is not always a time to, a need to respond to everything, a time to talk about everything. The Gemarins Vachim tells us, Vachim mm-hmm. midor ha hu omer, dom la hashem mit lo low, afal pisha mi pil ha halalim, halalim et shtok vikim vishlama hu omer, vishloma hu omer, eet la shobe eat la daber, pa maim, shisho take al shtika, pa amim midaber ume kabel schar al a it says in the Yemar and Zvachim that there are times when you receive a great reward for speaking, and there are times when you get, get a great reward for being quiet. So this second approach is not like the other one, which is that it was specifically to safeguard our intelligence, to make us seem maybe more intelligent or more capable than we were before. But rather, these three different sources, the source in Mishlei, the source in Shemot, the source in Devarim, in Zvachim, sorry, tell us that sometimes
1: silence is just what it is appropriate at that moment that um silence has its worth and
0: especially um when there's so much happening in the world like we said in michelle it goes and sorry when we said in Kohelet, it goes back and forth there are so many th- times eight for this eight for that eight for this eight for that um that it's time to recognize that there is a time and a place for everything and here by Dom Aaron, this was just, this is getting warmer, I think, quote, unquote, warmer. This is getting closer to what I believe the real
1: truth is. Um, Yes. Okay. So now on to our third approach. So I, think that, I think the second one works. The second one is okay, but I
0: think it's still not exactly describing what seems to be happening by Aaron, that it seems very regular, that it seems like, Okay, there's a time to talk and there's a time to not talk, but it doesn't really give us an explanation as to why there are times where you shouldn't talk. Shouldn't we always be speaking? So the third approach comes from a Passover Tehillim. <speaking in Tehillah> that silence is the best praise of you, Hashem. The Gemara Megillah says, "Darash Rabbi Yehuda Ish Kfar Gibura va Amar Le Ish Kfar Gibur There was a man, Rabbi Yehuda, who is from Kargibura, Gibura, who va Amar Le Ish Kfar Gibur Chayel. May Dichtiv L'Chadom Yeti Hila. Same Dekula Mishdukei Kiat Harav Dimi Amar Amaribemaharava Mila Basela U Mishdukei Bachad. This Rabbi Yehuda tells us that there is a place that when you go there, a sela, a piece of um, one word is worth a sella. But what is worth two sellas? What is with, worth double the currency? Mishduka, when there is silence. That there is a value in having silence beyond the fact that it is quiet. Beyond the fact that um, that there is a place to be silent here it's saying there is so much more to that. L'cha tehillah, the greatest praise of Hashem is silence. And what does that mean? I had a rabbi in high school. His name was Rabbi Haber. And Rabbi Haber, we were learning with him the um, process of what happens on Yom Kippur. And Rabbi Haber told us that he thinks of this pasuk, that the greatest praise of Hashem is silence. And he wanted us to think about it. And he said, Think about it this way. When we go on into Yom Kippur, we are taking on a completely monumental, an awesome, in the literal sense of the word, a seemingly beyond comprehension task ahead of us. That we are coming there on one day in which we are not in our best shape. We are not wearing comfortable shoes. We are not washing. We are not eating. We are not drinking. We are not engaging in any physical pleasures.
1: And we come into this day and we want to nullify a year's worth of sins. It seems impossible, but we come before Hashem and we daven and we daven and we daven and we say the Yogim
0: al Rachamim. And we say Vido and we say, say Selichus and we go over and over and over and over again trying to appeal to Hashem to save our lives for this coming year. And we do it again and again and again. And then Rabbi Haber said, at the end of Yom Kippur, it's possible to look around and say, "I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be able to say enough that is going to get me forgiven for all of my sins. I'm just not going to. I could say you'd give me 35,000 times. But this task is just so great for me. I don't know how I am possibly going to absolve all my sins. How am I going to do tshuva for everything? How am I going to improve myself? How am I going to make everything better? And Rabbi Heber said he remembers L'cha that right before the end of Yom Kippur, amidst all of the crying out to Hashem and the screaming, the Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Hashem Echad, the
1: Hashem Hu Hashem You stop. L'cha there is silence. And he said
0: he always makes a point of standing there in one moment, just one moment of silence. To say to Hashem that I know I went through this entire thick maxer And not to say that anyone else does this. But just in case maybe you had this experience of counting pages till the end. It goes on and on and on and on. And it's turning to Hashem and saying that no matter how much I in today. No matter how much I try to connect. I know that it was insufficient.
1: I know that this task is just so great. So large that it is impossible to encapsulate
0: it in words. So he says he turns to Hashem at the end of the day and he just stands there for a moment of silence. No davening, no shofar, no anything. He just stands and is silent. Because in this silence, he is saying so much. He's saying to Hashem, I know I'm a human being and human beings can only express themselves through language, but you are so much greater than that. And therefore, I can't express what I need through words. So I'm going to express it through silence. And I would like to argue that this is the silence of Aaron Akawin. That Aaron looked at a situation. And he said, what what am I supposed to say? Hashem, I can't say anything here. I am on what is meant to be the most exciting day of my life. I am finally rising into my role of the Kohen Gadol. We are establishing
1: the Mishkan. Everything is supposed to be amazing. And in midst of all this, I lose two of my children? What is he going to
0: say? What is he going to cry out? What is he going to moan and scream to Hashem that could possibly express what he's feeling? So instead, if you're saying like the Ramban, you say maybe he cried a little and then he stopped. But if you're going according to Rashi, he was just completely silent because there was nothing to say. Not because there was a time to be silent and accept and let other people step in and step off. Because there was nothing to say. It says by Eov that in Perak Bet, after Eov has begin, begun on this path of all these tragedies. It says, Eov's friends sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. They did not say anything to Eov, because there was nothing to say. So his friends sat with Eov for seven days and seven nights, and they didn't say anything. And I believe it is from, from Eov, and specifically from over here around this area, that we learned some of our halachor of specifically that you may not speak when you enter the base Avel, when you enter into the mourner's home, you may not speak until spoken to because there is this sense of silence, of this Vayidom Aaron, that it's not like, oh, it's just appropriate for it to be quiet here. We're not safeguarding, we're not afraid of what we might say, but rather we are acknowledging that it is totally beyond our human capacity to say anything in this moment,
1: that there is nothing we can say. I wanna conclude with a piece from Rav
0: Soloveitchik. The Rav Soloveitchik comments here on Vayidom Aaron. It says, and Aaron was silent. The classic response of Aaron after the death of his two sons was one of mute silence and acceptance of the heavenly decree. Job asked why. And it was, he was clearly informed that mortal man cannot grasp the full meaning of events. So no answer was given to him. To be a loyal Jew is to be heroic. And heroes commit themselves without intellectual reservations. This is what governed the survivors of concentration camps who fortified by religious faith emerged to rebuild their lives. Only one who lacks the courage of commitment will be labor the why. Rav Soloveitchik is very into this, that we can't ask why, we, can ask, we can't ask the lama, we can't ask why, we can only ask lama for what. And he includes that in this idea of silence, that he says, what is hanging in this silence is our acceptance of Hashem's decree, is being like Aaron Akohin, who recognized and said nothing. He was silent. Hashem was carrying out his plan, and he acknowledged that there was nothing he
1: could do, there was nothing he could say that would be worthy of this moment. That through his silence, he was acknowledging his faith in the fact that Hashem has a plan. I think
0: it is so apropos that we discuss this topic of Vayidom Aaron when we are entering into this week in which we will commemorate Yom Hashoah, and next week in which we will commemorate Yom Hazikaron. Then, on both these days, there are sirens that blast through the streets of Jerusalem, and there is much debate with the establishment of these sirens because these sirens bring about a moment of silence, and there is a debate whether a moment of silence is really a Jewish concept. Really, we say Tehillim, we daven, we don't usually express ourselves through silence. But I believe that based on our investigation today, this moment of silence that
1: comes with the siren where the entire country stops is similar to this Vayi Doma What can you possibly say on a day commemorating the death of six
0: million Jewish people? What can you possibly say on Yom Hazikaron, on a day when we acknowledge the loss of thousands of individuals who have sacrificed their lives al Kiddush Hashem so that we can have a state of Israel? To those who have died in terror attacks, to those who have fought in the army, what can you say? Yes, there is a time for the Kalmalis. Yes, there is a time for Tehillim. There is a time to discuss what happened, to commemorate what happened, to speak about it. But there is also this moment of this heroism, as the Rav calls it, of accepting that there is something in that moment that is beyond words that we cannot express, that we accept and we acknowledge that Hashem's plan is so much more than we can comprehend in that moment and so much more than what we can say. We have all had those experiences where we want to say something to somebody, but we seem to be at a loss for words. Not because we can't compose ourselves, but because our emotions seem so beyond words. And that is the silence of Ayi It is this silent heroism of acknowledging that we are just a small piece in this puzzle. That anything we have the capacity to do is so much less than what is needed in that moment. And accepting that only Hashem can fill that moment. We cannot fill it with words. We cannot fill it
1: with anything that we can do. We can only be silent and let Hashem fill that space. So, Mirtz Hashem, may we never, never have to experience anything of this sort. May we not have to
0: observe any more of these. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with the sirens in the time of Mashiach. But I can imagine that we will have other things happening in the state of Israel. Hopefully celebrations and parades with Mashiach. So may we never have to understand it in this concept, the context, but may we be able to take this power of the silence of our own and apply it in our lives to recognize those those spaces in which we can't fill them with words. We have to just let Hashem fill in those spaces in our lives. Thank you so much for joining tonight.
1: It was a pleasure to learn together as usual.